0: Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Greetings and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across America. Glad to have you with me. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, I am happy to have you. Now, I have kept my eye out for on this story for a while to see if something happens and something finally has. If you will recall, ProPublica, the New York Times and others have run stories in the last year or so about uh, the taxes of millionaires, billionaires, and of Donald Trump as well. Federal prosecutors filed charges late Friday against a contractor who worked for the IRS, who stole the tax returns of Donald Trump, it appears, and possibly leaked others. The man, 38-year-old Charles Edward Littlejohn, worked for the IRS from 2018 to 2020. During his contract, he allegedly stole tax returns and return information associated with public individual A sources say that that would be Donald Trump. In addition, he is accused of stealing IRS information on thousands of the nation's wealthiest people, including returns and return information dating back more than 15 years, and then sent it to uh, another news organization that would be the New York Times and ProPublica. He's charged with one count of unauthorized disclosure of tax returns and return information and faces up to five years in prison if convicted. ProPublica claims it doesn't know the identity of the people who provided it information. Uh, by the way, that so that's one count. It's tied now to his leaking Donald Trump's information. Eh, they're going to investigate further. The, the, the report came out and said, well, he, he's only being charged with one count for all of this. Actually, it looks like that they, they accuse him of taking Donald Trump's information, but they're investigating him still for all these others and will charge him with more. It's five years in prison for one count. Now, here's the problem. It is increasingly the case in this country that people have substituted politics for religion. Now I want to be careful here. This is, this is not my segment to proselytize to you, but I need to explain this one to you. People want to be a part of something. Everybody wants to be a part of something bigger than themselves. You build community to be a part of something bigger than yourself. You join organizations, you, even fantasy football. That's what fantasy football is or fantasy baseball. You're, you're a part of something bigger than yourself. You're, you're, you, you may not feel it that way, but it fills the void of you participating in something other than by yourself. You're lonely that this does something for you. It makes you feel good. It makes you feel a part of something. It, it, it gives you some energy. That's why people go to church. It's not just for the religious adherent goes to worship their God. You're also part of a community that's larger than yourself. The best churches have the best community structure. The churches that are really stable, they've got a good community structure. They work very hard to make people feel a part of that community. That's what this guy Is a part of he's a progressive activist and increasingly progressives frankly a lot of conservatives as well have replaced religion with politics they feel like their their cause that's greater than themselves is saving the country or shifting the country in a certain direction and it provides them a level of religious zeal and they don't care about the law they care about the cause this guy I can guarantee you we're going to find out is a progressive guarantee you. He's a progressive and he wanted to help, you know, there's the income gap in this country, the, 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 the millionaires and the billionaires, they take advantage of tax loopholes. It's unjust to have that much money. Some people think, and so with religious zeal, he got the records and leaked the records to the media to expose the bad guys. Because here's the thing, you, you hear in political conversation now more than you ever have in the past. If you So there is a way to search the world before the Internet existed. It's called LexisNexis, and, and you can go in and you can do word searches and articles over time, uh, going back very far in the 20th century. Uh, and what you will find is that the rise of the nomenclature of evil in politics is used more today than in the past. In domestic politics, we're not talking fighting Hitler and things like that. We're, we're talking about fighting the left, fighting the Democrats, fighting the Republicans. Both sides give a moral zeal to their political fights in ways they never did before. Both sides Use ideas like moral depravity and evil to label their political opponents. It gets hard to detach from that sometimes, even as as I pointed out, because I do think that this rise of uh, transgenderism for kids and allowing kids to be sterilized and take drugs, I do think it's it's an evil. I think it is a pr- depraved evil. Christ said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, and so Satan's like, well, I'm going to limit the numbers. That's what's going on here at a moral level. It is, it's an evil. But also the people who support these policy positions, a lot of them are not evil per se, other than we're all sinners. It's just they're your political opponents, and you're likely to say, well, they support this thing I think is evil. Therefore, they are evil, even as they're just progressive Democrats who unthoughtfully are going with their tribe. But the same thing is on the other side. You see Democrats labeling Republicans evil for supporting Donald Trump. You're evil for saying that the the supposed insurrection like I've done, it's a riot. It was an insurrection. Well, that's evil. Both sides use the language of morality, good, and evil of religiosity to describe their political opponents because as fewer people go to church, they've turned religion and politics on their heads, and now politics is religion and religion is politics. I follow along with a lot of pastors online, and they... Uh, engage in these political fights with each other in the name of religion, in the name of purity of religion. They, they, Religion has become politics, and politics has become religion. That's what's going on with these sorts of things. We're going to see more of this. It's like the people who glue themselves to the sidewalks. I, over global warming, I saw a funny meme this weekend. A guy sitting on his psychologist's couch, and he says... I am scared to death about the weather forecast 30 years from now. And the psychologist replies, well, the cure for that is to superglue yourself to the highway today. It is a political issue that they have given religious fervor to. They have converted to religion. So much of what we see in the modern American landscape, and you got to pay attention to this, y'all. I'm clapping to get your attention here. This is my profound thought of the day. So much of what you see in politics in America today is people substituting religion and politics. So much of the political fight of today has the fervor of religion because so many of the people involved in politics today on the left and the right no longer go to church because politics is now their church. So they have substituted religion and politics and the political disagreements today can be labeled with the moral uh, tones of good and evil and and the fights can have a higher tone and tenor and cause you're saving children, you're saving the planet, you're saving the future. Those are all the languages of religion now more applied to politics than ever before as people have left the church for the streets to fight in politics. That's what's happening in this country. On the left and the right, people have left the church, and now they go into the street and fight over politics, but they're going to fill that void that has emptied out of church. They're going to fill it with politics. And so here comes a guy who goes to work for the IRS. Maybe it was his intention going in, but it ultimately led him to, he needed to fight injustice. And the way to fight it was to leak the tax returns of the evil people who are the evil people, Donald Trump and the multimillionaires and billionaires. And he feels morally absolved. He broke the law. Our tax system in this country depends on people's trust of the system, not just the trust of the system and how taxes are collected, paid and used, but on the system of confidentiality. Our tax system requires trust in the system that people can honestly disclose their taxes and know it's not going to be revealed to other people. Because, frankly, a lot of people, they don't want people to know about how much money they make or uh, the tax deductions they take, the, the credits they get, any of that. Our system requires a level of confidentiality. And it is undermined when anyone goes into the tax system and intends, by working for the IRS, to leak returns of people they deem bad, they deem evil. This is going to undermine the entirety of the system if this advances. It will undermine the entirety of the system if this guy is not punished ruthlessly by the government. The only way to discourage further people from doing it is to punish. I suspect Charles Edward Littlejohn is willing to pay the price. I don't know him, but I suspect, given he leaked, is accused of leaking Donald Trump's returns and others, that he believes it was for a good cause and he was happy to martyr himself because he has allowed his politics to become religious. By the way, people on the right are doing this more and more as well. There are a whole lot of people who self-identify as evangelicals who do not go to church on Sunday. But it is their cultural identity They identify as evangelical in the way someone might identify as Jewish or Catholic, but doesn't actually go to synagogue, temple, or or, uh, church. It's just an ethnic identifier for them. I'm white, Southern, Southern Baptist by birth, I'm an evangelical but they don't go to church. They're not part of a church community. Maybe they've left a church. Maybe politics has gotten so uh, intertwined into their lives that they left their church because their church doesn't talk about the political issue of the day. They're no better than these people on the left. It's happening more and more on the right, and on both sides, left and right, what is happening is people leaving religion and filling the emptiness that is left behind by not being a part of a cause greater than themselves, and they're filling it with politics. This is at the beginning stages, not the ending stages. And the way to put an end to it is to punish people like this guy for substituting his values for the system, for deciding that that his view of the world and his idea of right, wrong, good, and evil is greater than the whole of the democratic system that put in place a tax code and tax system that relies on confidentiality to build trust. He has undermined that trust because he believes there is some greater trust at stake. He substituted his moral judgments for the moral judgments of the whole. And unless they punish him and stop him, this is the beginning of people doing that, not the end. Guys, if you're a small, mid-sized business, you're struggling with HR issues, you have employees not showing up, or you got to do a termination, you need onboarding of employees, maybe there's a sexual harassment complaint. You want an HR manager. You don't want to be the bad guy with your employees. Bambi can play the role of HR for you. $99 a month available by phone, email, real-time chat. They do onboardings, terminations. They help your team members get to peak performance. And your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations, regardless of which state. They're great. Now, they're U.S.-based. You got somebody to talk to who's dedicated to your team. Hello there. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. Uh, Thank you to Mark. Uh, Mark, I hope you're listening. Uh, I think it was Larry who called in and pointed out that the market hasn't been as high as when Trump was in office. I should have looked at the graph better. Mark says uh, we were wrong. uh, And Mark is actually right. Uh, The market is now higher than when Trump left office. Uh, It is down from earlier, but much higher than uh, when Trump left office. So thank you, Mark, for the email in a real-time correction, so I don't have to correct myself tomorrow. Now, I, I got. I wasn't going to talk about this, but this has happened. I just, I, I, I just find the reaction kind of distasteful. I, I, I want to let you know. You don't know who Josh Kruger is. Josh Kruger is 39 years old, was 39 years old. Josh Kruger was a progressive activist and writer in Philadelphia. Josh Krueger um, insisted that everything was fine in Philadelphia, that a crime was not a bad thing. He said that uh, the city isn't ruined just because Larry Krasner, the DA, keeps winning in landslides. Doesn't mean Philadelphia is a heap of cinders and ashes, no matter how much people say, like the rest of the country, we're just dealing with upticks in crime. And, and he denied the... um He denied the reality of massive crime waves. He supported the progressive policies of the DA there who lets people out of jail. Uh, He has been shot seven times. No arrests have been made in his murder. What I find distasteful is a lot of uh, right-wing activists are now replying to his last tweet uh, saying, you got any more comments on how safe Philadelphia is? Ah, This kind of reminds me of when something bad happens to a conservative and the left rushes out and says, oh, he shouldn't have been a defender of the Second Amendment. How's your defense of the Second Amendment going? Ah, the guy's dead. Um, But Philadelphia has a crime problem, and I don't think that can be underestimated. There there actually is a crime problem in Philadelphia, and this guy denied it willfully over time, refused to believe the evidence, uh, and is sadly now a victim of a crime wave that, uh, while he recognized an uptick in crime, didn't recognize it for what it actually was. And the left-wing prosecutor there has continued to let people out of prison uh, on gun crimes because he thought it was statistically too many black people going to jail, and he didn't like that, so he was letting them out. Sad. Uh, that That's a beautiful city, beautiful city, but it's just not safe. So many of our big cities aren't safe. The left has just given up on them, and I want to talk about that issue when we come back. But... 1st with the holidays getting here. Yep. We're in the last three months of the year now. I hope somebody woke green day up. We got uh Thanksgiving. We got Christmas. You've got packages that you're shipping. Maybe your business, maybe yourself. You got packages. Can I interest you in a great deal from stamps.com? All you need is a computer and a printer. You can manage orders. You can use a mobile app. You can schedule package pickups. You can connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. You get huge carrier discounts up to 84% with post office and UPS rates and you can find the cheapest and fastest shipping options. All you do is you go to stamps.com. You click on the microphone, and you put in my name, Eric. Here's what you get, a four-week trial, free postage, a free digital scale. You get no long-term commitments or contracts. No long-term commitments or contracts. Let me emphasize that. But you get skip lines. You can order pickups. You can save with post office and UPS rates. You go to stamps.com. You click the microphone. You put in Eric. I had to use Stamps.com this morning to send something to a friend. It's so easy. I use it. You can use it. It's great. It saves you money, and you don't have to worry about lines, particularly during the holiday season. Stamps.com, click the microphone, put in Eric. Save some money, get a great deal, and skip the lines. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, 877-973-7425. It's kind of funny. Um, I got an email from listener Richard today. And I was already thinking along these lines of Hannah Arendt's origins of uh, totalitarianism where she talks about how in the run-up to the, the turmoil of the 20th century in Europe, the elite were essentially turning ideas of crime into ideas of vice. Uh, the issue being that, um, between them, that if something is a crime, you have the choice to do or not to do the crime. If something is a vice, it's, it's in your inner being, and, and therefore, society must be in some way sympathetic to you. There's a story by the editorial board. It's an op-ed. Um, I guess I should say it's an editorial by the Wall Street Journal editorial board. New York City is urging its citizens to get equipped with Narcan. The latest mile marker on New York City's road to urban perdition is a PSA from the Health Commissioner. Every citizen, it says, should get trained on using Narcan, the medicine that reverses opioid overdoses. After failing to control public disorder, including drug use, the city wants to conscript every resident into its health corps. We have defibrillators behind every bar in every business and every public event. Commissioner Ashwin Vasson said last week, Narcan has to be everywhere. You should be carrying Narcan right now. Then he added, anytime you see someone walking past them who looks like they might not be conscious, who might not be breathing, who might look more sleepy or tired than usual, think overdose, think opioid intoxication, think fentanyl. Progressives have given up on society. Progressives cannot acknowledge they were wrong. You know, let, let me step back a little bit philosophically. One of the core understandings of conservatism is that people are not good. Individually, there could be good people, but people as a whole are a mob, and a mob is not good. It's one of the conservative underpinnings of the American Revolution that people must be constrained from their intentions and ill will. They must; The government should be divided with a system and series of checks and balances so that those in different groups of different opinions could be put at odds together to slow the process down, to extract something and restrain other things. Progressives take the Rousseau approach of a blank slate where you can fill people with the hopes, ideas, and ambitions and and let society thrive. That's why we see progressives these days wish to indoctrinate instead of educate in school in an era where they frown on intolerance in society, they want kids to be open and tolerant of trans issues and gay issues. And the whole of the alphabet gang, we must be tolerant. Our children being a blank slate, we can pour these values into them and society will thrive. The problem is progressivism doesn't hold up. Now, you know, my worldview is a Christian worldview. We live in a fallen world. We're all sinners. I'm a conservative because I want as few in charge of me as possible. But the reality is that conservatism as a whole holds up. It is the rush to progressive ideals over time that has gotten us into many a world war. This we will have peace in our times nonsense. No, you won't. There are bad men who want to do bad things at night. It's one of the reasons I support funding Ukraine. We will embolden bad guys around the world if we walk away from them. And eventually we will have to deal with bigger bad guys. Conservatism is grounded in the reality that mankind is fallen. Progressivism is built on the idea that blank slates can be filled with virtue and then build a heaven on earth. As a result, conservatives can admit when they've gotten things wrong far more easily than progressives can. Because with progressives, your vision is a utopia, ever evolving, ever forward, pushed to a better place on this planet. And you can't admit you were wrong. So this is what's happening in our cities, in our country now. The legalization of drugs, the decriminalization of drugs, the idea of treating addicts as if they have a vice and they need to be helped. We are now at New York City having so many people dying of overdoses on the street, they want the public to become the health officials and carry Narcan with them. In refusing to acknowledge their failures and refusing to change, they've done things like, for example, change homelessness to being unhoused. It's not that you're homeless, it's just that you are unhoused. They want to change the names to take the pejorativism as a... It's like the progressive teachers. Every single one of you probably had a teacher in school who at some point gave you a lecture and said class, I'm no longer going to use the red pin because red has bad connotations. So now I'm going to use the green pin so it no longer looks like I'm bleeding over your pages because I don't want it to be put off footing to, to you. And, and what people realize is, oh my God, I got all this green ink now. Got grass growing all over the page from this teacher. By changing the words, they think they can take the pain out of the words. They, they have embraced this Marxist ideology. Part of progressivism is words are where the power is. So if you change the definition of a word or you use different words, you can alter the power paradigms. But ultimately, it's about they can't acknowledge their failures. We as a society lock up a lot of people, and the left says we lock up more people than anywhere, even China. We lock up more people per capita. This is bad. Actually, it's not bad. We're keeping the rest of society safe. We're locking up so many people because progressive ideology and progressive values failed for so long. We grew a class of criminal in this country with collapsed families. We destroyed the two-parent nuclear household. It was considered bourgeois and immoral. It was considered deviant to have a two-parent nuclear household in this country. It was bad. We needed the great progress of having single families and families of same-sex families, and that's the great progress of society. We in this country, believe it or not, per capita now have more kids raised in single households than any other society on the planet. And that is not good. It's having a cascading effect. And the left will never acknowledge it was their progressive ideals in the Johnson administration with the great society that made two-parent households meaningless. And dad was irrelevant. And mom could just suckle Uncle Sam's teat to get everything she needed in life for her and her family. Breastfeeding off Uncle Sam. That's essentially what welfare programs in the 60s became. And dad's husbands were expendable. And society's been collapsing ever since. And here we are now at rock bottom, but really there's no bottom because you can keep falling even worse. And the left cannot acknowledge it. They can't admit their societal Uh, ideals were wrong. They cannot admit that letting a bunch of people out of prison is wrong. They can't admit that just because maybe in your town more black people are arrested for gun crimes, that means the gun laws are racist and we should let them all out of prison. They can't acknowledge that maybe some people need to be thrown in prison. They can't acknowledge that permissive drug culture has expanded drug culture, and now we got people dying of overdoses everywhere. They can't acknowledge it. They can't acknowledge the despair. They can't acknowledge the loneliness. They can't even acknowledge the screw-ups of COVID policy. They've given up on society. What they're now going to do, and we're going to see this across the country, is they are going to decide that crime and vice are different things and so many of the crimes in our society are actually vices and they're people who can't help themselves and therefore we must make excuses for them and we must use society to help them and not just lock them up. The drug addict, he's addicted to drugs, it's a vice. It's not a crime that he's using the drugs, it's a vice and it's a tragedy that he's addicted to the drugs and we must now spend our money To help him get clean drugs, we must give him a crack pipe so that he is protected from himself and from others. It's subtle shifts in policy away from crime towards vice that progressives, having ruined our societies, having collapsed our cities, having sparked crime waves, corruption, and and class divides, and a collapse on class consciousness, and, and collapsing, failing public schools, they're now going to move on. There can be no reflection on that they got things wrong. You're not allowed to point out they got things wrong. They didn't get things wrong. It's all by design. And to the extent it hasn't worked out, it's conservatives' fault for not giving them more money. The idea, the idea that you all should start carrying Narcan around because someone on the side of the road is overdosing should be noxious to every one of you. The idea of comparing carrying Narcan to a defibrillator defibrillator machine in bars and restaurants and hotels, people have heart attacks. And where it's possible to save someone who has a heart attack, it's great to have a defib machine around. But that is not the same thing as you and me carrying Narcan around. You don't know how to use the defib machine. Someone at the restaurant does, not you. But the idea that you're now going to carry Narcan around, this is an abdication of sound policy from our public policy leaders in our public uh, institutions. It's a breach of the public trust to have them now make you a healthcare first responder because they screwed up society. But that's ultimately what's happening. They can't acknowledge they screwed up study. I'll, I'll tell you, I, it, it is it is an easy, easy thing for me to see how badly we are headed in society. When we make uh, gambling as permissive and easy as possible for young men, we're going to wipe out a lot of young men's fortunes. We're going to drive them to despair and other vice uh, by making it so easy. All of sports is now designed around betting that you can't enjoy the game now unless you've got a bet on it. It's going to end badly for a lot of people. Add to that the permissive legalization of drugs in so many states in this country, the easy access to drugs, it's going to end badly. Add to that the collapse of two-parent households and the growth of single-parent households and the collapse of families altogether and the collapse of people's desire to even have families, it's all going to end badly. For our society. And it's all the logical outcome of so much of progressive policy. And the progressives cannot acknowledge those were the outcomes and that those things are bad for society. So instead, they will move on by changing words, by changing definitions, and by encouraging all of you to carry Narcan so those victims of their failed policies might get out of an overdose because you will have assumed the role of guarantee and guardian of society that progressives promised they would become. Until they delivered us their hell on earth that they now declare is actually utopia. I think I'll pass. Now, let me tell you about vision computers, because there, my friends, you can actually get a good deal. You can have them build your computer. You can have them service your computer. You can have them be your tech support. They can even remote in and fix stuff. So here's the scenario. You got a kid. Your kid needs a computer a uh, laptop or a desktop. You can call Vision and say, here's what my kid needs. Here's what he wants. He's headed off to college in two years. I don't want to keep buying a computer. Vision can build you something that meets their needs now, meets their needs then, and is upgradable so you never have to get a new computer or not for a while. And then they can be IT support. So when your kid has a problem, they're not coming to you saying, "I got, I got a problem, mom, dad, what do I do? They call the number at Vision and Vision navigates them through it. They can remote in and fix the computer in many cases, or they could just explain to your kid what to do. Now, let's take a step back. You're a small business man. You've got a business. You've got 20 employees. They each need a computer. You let Vision build their computers and be their IT department. Every single person has the phone number. Every single person can call. So you can run the business, not be the IT department. And you don't have to hire an IT guy. Because that's Vision's job. They can take care of you. They can take care of your business. They can save you money and build a relationship. All you got to do is go to visioncomputers.com, or better yet, call them. If you call them, you can ask about the Eric Erickson special and save some great money. Call them at 404-Compute. Those of you in Kalispell, Montana, who are listening right now, 404-Compute. They're in Atlanta, Georgia, but they can help you, too. Those of you down in Miami, same thing. Anywhere in the country, Vision can help you. 404-Compute. 404-Compute. Column, start a relationship today, a long-term computer relationship with Vision Computers. Well, I, I, I got to give you some some put-your-big-boy-pants-on news here because it, it's not really good. Uh, Brian Riedel has this Twitter thread up. Uh, he's a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. Uh, let me just read this for you. The 10-year bond, I've mentioned this a number of times lately and the implications of Uh, for all of us on this. He does a good job of explaining the problem here. The 10-year bond hit 4.7% today. Washington never locked in 1% to 3% interest rates, and now the debt is rolling over into these rates. At the same time, deficits soar too. If rates stay above 4% long-term, we're in deep trouble. Every 1% the interest rates exceed the Congressional Budget Office baseline costs $3 trillion over the decade and $30 trillion over 30 years, or adds 40% of GDP to the debt. It's like adding another defense department. That's just because of 1% higher rates. The Congressional Budget Office assumes Washington's interest rate never exceeds 4% for 30 years. If they go to 5% or 6% long-term, deficits grow 13 to 18% of GDP, even with these rosy... Congressional Budget Office baseline assumptions of tax cuts expiring, and no more legislated spending hikes. Will rates fall back to 1% to 3%? Maybe. Then again, the Fed isn't likely to return to pre-2021 rates. Global savings are pulling back. Retiring boomers are drawing down savings. A 100% of GDP debt hike will push rates upwards. So better hope the Federal Reserve has a backup plan. Mm -hmm. Washington is totally asleep at the wheel right now on deficits and interest rates, in large part because the constituents are too. I've been warning about this for a while, and I know some members of Congress have worried about this. Uh, And um, uh, Paul Ryan has talked about this in the past when he was speaker, that if our interest rate goes up, and essentially the the bond rate, the 4.6% bond rate, that's the interest rate on the debt. It is presumed by the prognosticators in Washington that it'll never get above 3%. It's now at 4.6%. You're essentially adding $3 trillion to the federal debt every year. That's a lot. We don't have the money. I'm sorry, $3 trillion over a decade. trillion every decade as interest rates go up by a percent. That's a lot. We're going to have to start making cutbacks. We have record high tax revenue into the federal government right now. We have $4.9 trillion in tax revenue to the government right now in this economy. And yet we're spending so much, we're still adding to deficits and adding debt. And now interest rates are going up, making all of that debt more expensive. We're headed towards a fiscal nightmare that just spirals out of control, and we're headed there because of the failures of people in Washington to understand we've got to cut spending. Tax increases are going to slow the economy down. When taxes begin to increase, you have a short-term bump in tax revenue, and then you have an economic slowdown that reduces the tax revenue. The Trump tax cuts from 2018 have been keeping our economy afloat and keeping tax revenue going for the government. But those tax cuts are set to expire in 2025. If they're not renewed, taxes go up, revenue to the government goes down, and spending collapses. It's just not a good, stable scenario for any of us. Something's got to give in Washington DC. The grown-ups need to be in charge, but we got a geriatric dementia patient in charge of the White House and incompetence in Congress. So God have mercy on all of us.